Hi, my name is Joel. I am uh, one of the mentors here at Midtown, and I'm excited to uh, share with you this morning the uh, word that God has for us out of uh, 1 Corinthians. We are actually uh, bringing 1 Corinthians to a close, and uh, this is a very interesting piece of scripture that uh, we get to be in this morning. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians 16 if you have your Bibles. We will put the verse up on the uh, screen that uh, we'll be dialoguing on this morning. It's 1 Corinthians 16. 13 and 14, if you're a parent, uh, you'll know the nature, the kind of the feel of what's going on here in these words. Even if you're not, you've probably at one time or another been in a situation where somebody says, listen, out of all the things that we've talked about, what I want you to remember is this, bing, 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 three things. Or out of all the things that we've covered, Paul is, that's what is going on in the Corinthian church, out of all the things that we've dialogued in this letter, the things that I've wrote I want you to remember these three things. Almost like a military commander stands up in front of his troops and says to them, listen, and the first thing he says is what? Be watchful. And then he says, stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And then in verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. So today... I, I'm not going to have the luxury of being able to delve into all five things, but I want to talk to you about the first two. I share with uh, you today, uh, as a fellow journeyer with you, I by no means have come to the place in my life where I've arrived and I share these things from on high, but more share these things as I'm a fellow journeyer with you sitting right beside you, because I've needed this message probably more than anybody as I've been in the scripture this week. Let's look at this concept here where Paul opens it up and he says, be watchful. This command or these words, if you will, are all the way through scriptures. Here are a few other scriptures in Mark 13, 33. Look what it says here. It says, be on your guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. A few weeks ago, I was heading on a flight to Florida, and we were sitting there waiting to take off, and there was a gentleman who was sitting beside me. And as soon as he sat down, he took the button on his seat and hit it and hit back, went back. You're not supposed to do that. Seats in upright positions. And began to, I mean, not just slumber or maybe do a little bit of a sleep thing. He began to absolutely and unbelievably snore. Horrifically. Like shaking my seat. Like people looking back at me going, what is going on? Okay? Just gone. The lady comes up to give the instructions. You know how the ladies come up, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Delta Flight such and such. There's a few things we have to cover with you, and they have to cover these every time, right, these instructions. There's a lady over here across the aisle I look. She must be a first-time flyer because she's doing this. And then when the lady said, pull out your, the card in front of you to follow along, she did it. 
And so she pulled it out, and she's following along and looking up, kind of like, you know, kind of, and this guy beside me, right? And when I, when I thought of that, and when I think of this scripture, I kind of I kind of was wondering this week. I said, which one am I? In, as far as the spiritual life is concerned, which person am I more like? Am I like the snorer, or am I like the lady who's sitting there in the first time and said, "Give me it, give me it, give me it"? And I would probably have to confess to you that I'm an old time veteran, and so I probably make way more mistakes in the fact that I can sleep through the entire flight. And sometimes I would tell you that I think I could sleep through the ent- my entire week spiritually. You, you, do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Would it be possible for us to sleep, for us to actually be, to sleep through the whole flight of life as even sons and daughters of God? When Paul is, what, what's Paul saying here? When he, is he saying something more to us than just be watchful, be watchful? Be watchful. Be watchful. Why is he saying be watchful? Why so much emphasis in the scripture on be alert, be awake, stand guard, be careful? Jesus, in his most maybe difficult time in his whole life. Matthew 26. Comes before his disciples. He knows it's the time that he has to go to the cross. Facing his darkest hour in this garden of Gethsemane, and he looks and he says this to his disciples. He says, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And he asks him this listen now. He asks him this Remain here and watch with me. And one of the questions that's really interesting for us to ask is, what was Jesus wanting them to watch for? Jesus goes off to pray. He falls to his face and prays. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And then the most power-packed maybe word in all of the New Testament would be the word that we all so badly need to be praying every five minutes of our day, which is this, nevertheless. Not as I will, but as you will. And you know what, and you know what happens after this, don't you? He came to his disciples and he found them what? And he says to Peter, what a horrible day for Peter. Poor Peter. So you, 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 you couldn't even watch with me an hour? Anybody ever rebuked you and you just felt like getting down on the ground and just melting like water into the earth? And then, the, and then he says again, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. There's a key for us right there, by the way. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? Weak. Oh, those sleepy disciples. Are they just like us? Are we just like them? Yes? 
No? How could they fall asleep at the most important hour of Jesus' life? Somebody said this, either they, either they underestimated the danger or they overestimated their strength. Think about that. Either they underestimated the danger of what was going on, and probably there's an equation there to why Jesus was saying, watch and pray, because Jesus understood the very hostile world he was living in. Either they underestimated, hey, guys, you really need to hear this, because, fellas, we, we, I think we have, this is one of our chief sins, if you will, our chief problems. Either they underestimated the danger or they overestimated their strength. Is that why they slept? Let me ask you something this morning. Are we sleeping through the instructions? Michael Horton is an author that I read a lot. He talks about instructions. He talks about the truth in, in Scripture, and he says this. It's a very interesting quote. He says, we cannot live without a script. We must accept the fact that if we are not transformed by the renewing of our minds by God's word, we will be conformed to the pattern of this world's thinking. Although its script is weak and its character shallow and its plot empty, the world has the advantage of powerful methods of indoctrinating us, complete with celebrities and surround sound. At least in democratic nations, this conformity is not enforced by armies, but by the market, with its subdivisions of schools, entertainment, and advertising. It may not catechize us at gunpoint, but its relentless bombardment wears our defenses, and I think that's true. In Greek mythology, there's a story told about the cave of Morpheus. And the cave of Mor Morpheus was the place where when you walked into this cave, you suddenly found yourself suddenly overcome, and you lay down and you began to dream and sleep. And many times I wonder, not just wonder, but I know, I think that the world that I live in and that you live in, this culture that we live in is exactly like the cave of Morpheus. But we don't want to believe it is. In fact, we don't want to believe that it could possibly be a hostile and dangerous place, but we also want to believe we have the strength to handle it. Sometimes ever slowly, this is kind of the slowly, sometimes quickly, we kind of wander into this cave of culture, wander into this cave of the world, and we become kind of anesthetized to the instructions, to the cross, to the very thing that we need reminded to us 50,000 times, and we would say, we've heard that before, and we don't need to hear it again, as if God doesn't need to remind us again. Please, please, please hear me when I share with you today. It's great that we have our college students back with us in this room today because I want to remind you that you, this place, this world for us as Christ followers is not your home. This is a hostile world. 
Beware of the danger and the anesthetizing sleeping nature that culture can put on you. I had a girl walk into my office, probably not more than a couple weeks ago, that looked at me and she, she began this unbelievable litany of her life. She was horrifically wounded, terribly scarred. And she said this to me, how did I ever end up here? Maybe one of the reasons she had ended up there is because she was sleeping through the flight. So when Paul says, be watchful here, be watchful, he says, be, be vigilant. Paul says, be watchful, don't go to sleep, awake up to the fact that you're of another kingdom. That you are of the kingdom of God, son and daughter of God. You are of another kingdom. Don't be asleep to that fact. Awake to the fact that that's who you are. Calvin says, he orders them to be watchful so that Satan might not take them by surprise when they were off their guard. And I guess that's another question that I have for both you and me. Are we off our guard? Do I have enough strength in this life to make the decisions that I make on Friday night, Saturday night, with her, with him? Am I off my guard? Am I standing vigil? Am I watchful? Or is the truth of my life this? I love culture. I love this world that I'm in. If that's the case, case I would tell you you're beginning to fall asleep because this is not what you're made for. Are you watchful? Am I? One of my friends decided to make a cross-country trip to see his girlfriend. Dave said last week, it's amazing what love will do. And his mama looked at him and said, whatever you do, when you get tired, pull off, go to a hotel, we'll pay for it. He said, yeah, Mom. That was his first mistake. He said that the second night he was driving, he was somewhere in Iowa. <laughs> he felt good, two in the morning. He said it seemed like a second later, <laughs> he, was, he woke up because he was smelling smoke and burning. He was in his car, and he looks out the door, and the whole side of his car is driving down the side of the rail down, down the highway. Sparks are flying up. He wakes up and realizes that he has been on the edge of this rail and just, <laughs> of course, he believed that he could make it through the night. He's going to go all the way, and he's, he's woke up by the smell, pulls off the side of the road, looks at his car. It's completely down to the frame, like black hole all the way through the whole side of his car. 
what will come up? Well, the smell. And the good question for us is, do you smell anything? You smell anything in your life? God has sent his son Jesus to make us alive in Christ. Alive, joyous, passionate people that are here on mission for him. Paul says, be watchful. Be watchful. Be careful. Be vigilant. Stand guard over the gospel. Stand guard over the truth. Stand guard over the fact that you have an identity in me. Stand guard over those things. The last one. Or the next one. Stand firm in the faith. The Corinthian church here was having a hard time, you see, standing firm in anything. <laughs> if we look at the first thing, they were having a hard time staying awake, right? <laughs> if you look at the second piece, they're, you know, they're, just gonna, they're kind of constantly like teetering. Is this, is this us too? They're constantly like teetering on, between on truth and on error. You know, they're kind of moving in and out of what Paul's trying to tell them. He's, and what he's trying to tell them is Jesus Christ crucified. He's trying to give them the gospel. In fact, he um, ends up talking about this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, now I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you. He's always doing this in this letter. I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you, he says, stand. You stand in that. And then he gives the gospel in such a beautiful little capsule. And here it is. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again. But like a teenager on a Friday night who can't decide on the right outfit, they can't decide on the right outfit. And Paul is saying to them, this is the outfit. Clothe yourselves in Christ. Let me bring sanity to your insanity and speak sanity by the name of of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Paul was trying to do something that we're trying to do here at Midtown. Paul was trying to get them to recover their focus on the drama that centers on Christ, not the drama that centers on us. And in order for them to do that, they needed to find their story in God. They needed to find their story in the gospel. So, what is it, I was thinking about this, what is it that keeps us, you and me, from teeter, keeps us from this idea, how could we stop teetering on truth and error in our lives that we seem to have kind of this inconsistentness? And, and I know I do. What is, it, what is it that would actually allow us to stand firm in the faith? I mean, what does he mean here? Does this mean that we've got to get it in gear and get, you know, take charge and, you know, do devotions every day from like 9 to like 2 o'clock and witness to a billion people by the time that 2012 hits because that's when Jesus is coming back or, you know, whatever. I want to share with you a concept that's really helping me. 
and it's 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 real. There's so much more to it. I can't give you explain it all, but it's this. What what would keep us from this is this. Let me share this with you. How about this? Standing firm in our radical helplessness as people. Do you, do you get the oxymoron of the statement? The words cancel out each other, but if you think about it, it's, it's really, really awesome for us. Standing firm in our radical helplessness. There's an old Puritan quote that I love, and it goes like this. A holy despair in ourselves is the ground of true hope. We stand firm in the fact that we can't control our lives or anyone else's. I've had, I have four daughters, two are teenagers, and that lesson was proven to me, my first daughter when she became a teenager, that I can't control anybody's life, even though I thought I could create real perfect little kids when I was, when I had young kids. We can't. We're helpless. When the, young, when the young person, when the young lady comes walking into my office at Midtown, I had the privilege of being there and sharing with her. There's nothing that I have or can bring to her that's going to save her or help her. Do you know that? I'm a man. I want to fix it. I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm going to fix this. You watch it. I can come up with unbelievable solutions. No. Good grief. The older I get, the older, what I realize is that I, I, can, I, I can do nothing but, but talk about Jesus. All I can talk about is the Lord. Is, Lord, you're going to have to do something. I, I, I don't have what it takes to control you, to help you, to heal you, to deliver you, to redeem you, to make you feel better about your guilt. I have none of those things in my toolbox. None of them, and I never will. I'm helpless. But I speak of one who is not. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And his name is not Joel. We stand firm in the fact that we don't have the answers. We stand firm in the fact... that all our reasoning and Google searches won't provide the answers I need. Do you hear that? Stand firm in the fact that all your reasoning and Google searches to find out the answers for why you're feeling some pain in your body or why kids rebel or why you want to take drugs, I mean, just fill in the blank. Stand firm in the fact that Google, Google won't give you the answers you're looking for. Well, let's see what it says. Stand firm in the fact that nothing that you find down there will bring you any healing either. It'll just add to more confusion. We stand firm in the fact that the drama isn't about us. We stand firm in the fact that we are radically helpless and radically weak without this Jesus that Paul's talking about. And that is what Paul wants them to know. This is, let me bring you all back to this. I want you to stand firm and understand out of all the craziness that's going on in this church, people getting drunk at the communion table. Good grief. Just multiply all the problems. Here's what I want you to know. Stand firm in the fact that you are helpless without the very person who's given you life. His name is Jesus. 
we stand firm in this. We don't overestimate our strength. We're firm in the fact that Christ and Christ alone is our strength. Hmm. I saw on television a few weeks ago. There was a boat that had wrecked. And uh, these people had gone overboard. And they had been at sea for a while. And it showed this big, giant oil tanker. That had, Somebody had finally come by the helicopter to, to shoot video of these people getting rescued by an oil tanker. There's these people that they're throwing these, you know, they're throwing the, whatever that thing is, the buoy out to them, and they're pulling them in. Big giant off the water, and they're pulling these people in. There's this one guy out there who's flailing around, you know. And you're just looking, you're looking at them, and you're seeing these seas that are like 25 feet, you know. And he looks like about, just like a grain of sand. He just looks so tiny in God's creation. He looks so utterly helpless. And you know what he did? He's keep flailing finally. The guys, you know, he was the one who got the next one. He comes up on board, and he grabs a hold of the dude who threw the rope and just starts kissing him all over the place. Just couldn't, wouldn't let him go. And I thought, you know what? That, that, is, that is me on Wednesday. And Jesus comes and he throws me that line on my Wednesdays and my Thursdays and my Fridays and my Saturdays. And that, that, I need that. And it's difficult to many times in my life for Jesus to save me because it's difficult to save a strong swimmer, isn't it? And we're all going to be strong. And we're all going to buck up and handle it. But what Paul's saying is stand firm in your radical weakness and helplessness, which would actually allow the men in here, the women in here, in community, to look at each other truly and stop saying, I know it all, but saying, I need to know. I need to know. I want help. I'm hurting. Lastly, I'm convinced that when we talk about the pain in our lives, and by the way, I know many of you are, when we talk about the suffering in our lives. I'm convinced that God authors suffering in our lives for many reasons. But one of the reasons is to push us into the waters of radical helplessness. He puts us in there swimming so that, hear this now, because this, really, this is really happening in my heart. And I, I, want to ta- I want the Lord to use this in your heart. He puts us in there swimming so that we'll come to the end of ourselves. He puts us in the waters of suffering so that we'll come to the end of ourselves. And without it, we'll never come to the end of ourselves because we're so consumed with ourselves. So helplessness is a good thing. A friend prayed this prayer, and we'll use it as our prayer today. Listen. He says, my friend, your helplessness is your best prayer. It calls from your heart to the heart of God with greater effect than all your uttered pleas. He hears it from the very moment that you are seized in helplessness 
and he becomes actively engaged at once in hearing and answering the prayer of your helplessness. Let me close this real quick. God, thank you. Thank you for giving us a God who is our Savior in our helplessness, is our strength in our song. Thank you that we could actually stand firm and sit firm into the thing that we don't want to do. Thank you, Lord, for the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that even allows us to admit that we can't do it. Thank you, Jesus, for doing it. Lord, I pray over uh, our congregation this morning. I pray especially uh, for many of our young friends in college. I, I, want, I really want to pray for them this morning. And I want to pray, Lord, that by your supernatural strength, you would give them wisdom beyond anything they could possibly imagine back in their, at their uh, campuses, at, in the schools of this city. I pray, Lord, that you would give them the strength, that you would give them the insight to be watchful, that you would keep them from slumber. I pray that you would surround them with, the, with your word, that they would be in a community that would speak the gospel to them, that would love them and support them. I pray for their protection from the evil one. Lord, I pray that on all of us. We pray in your name. Amen.